everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checker. Open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. Tony Andraghi here, joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, we're going to start off with a fun new segment. We're going to call it the Triple Play, three things that are on our mind in the world of baseball. Then we'll get into a bunch of Cubs stuff. I guess some of this in kind of an ancillary way affects the Cubs, but I'll, I'll let you start first. What, what's kind of been on your mind so far in baseball right now? So my biggest one is Luis Arias. And, and it, again, like we said, it is kind of tied in with the Cubs. The Cubs just saw him a couple weeks ago, last month. Um, the quest for 400, like, is he going to get to 400? I probably don't, I, I don't think he'll get to 400. I, that's really, really hard to do. But, I mean, it's fun to watch it, right? Like, yeah. to see, like, is he going to get two hits every game? Is he going to get three hits? Like, how is he going to perform? How is the chase for 400 going? It's curious how far he can take because I don't think he can do it. But also to be at 400 on June 7th, uh, as we're recording, that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, and I mean, I love watching players nowadays who walk more than they strike out because there's so few and far between. And right. there's like literally a handful every year who can do it. And he's one of the, I mean, he's, I think, the hardest guy to strike out in baseball. So, I mean, he's always putting the ball in play. So luck's a factor. You know, he has decent enough speed to help beat out some infield hits. There's no shift anymore. Like, I, I think, you know, kind of a cavernous park in Miami that could help out as well. So, yeah, if anybody's going to do it, I mean, he's like the closest thing to Tony Gwynn in today's baseball. So, right. like, I think he can. But that being said, Tony Gwynn never did it. So, right. I don't think he's going to. I don't I don't think anybody's ever going to hit 400 again, to be it, honest. It's it's like, it's such an insane number, like, when you think about it. And, and you think about the way Ted Williams did it, the last guy to do it in 41, I believe it was where he could have sat the last game and, and, and secured 400, and he decided to play, put put it at risk, and got a hit in his final at bat to get to, to stay at 401. Like, it's just incredible to, to think of that number, and probably something we'll never – I'm with you, we'll probably never see Unless it. they, like, move the mounds back and make it significantly right. easier to hit or something like that. Yeah, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Um, one of the other things that's been on my mind lately, and really with Ellie De La Cruz coming up for the Reds, I feel like the Reds are, are here, and I yeah. feel like people missed it. I kind of missed it, and in the division, like the Cubs have been focused on Cardinals and Brewers, and, and fans have been focused on that, understandably so. Pirates, you know, who knows? They're still in the midst of a rebuild. Maybe they've been better this year. Obviously, right. they were in first place, I think, as, you know, right now as we're shooting this or as this week started. Um, but the Reds are, like, here faster than I thought they were, and they have this nice young core with – Matt McClain, Spencer Steer, Jonathan India is like one of the more underrated players in baseball. Right. And then De La Cruz might be the best of all of them. So I think, and this is before even Joey Votto comes back this year. But to me, I think the Reds have arrived a little faster than a lot of people were thinking. And I think they could be, at least make some noise offensively this year. And maybe next year be like a team that actually is contending in the division. Yeah, I'm with you. When, they, when the Cubs were swept by the Reds, like my immediate reaction was just thinking these were the same old Reds of like the last year or two where it was they, the Cubs should have swept them, and, and the, the Reds aren't that good. And then you kind of look at their roster, and you're like, actually, this team is, like, not bad at all. And there's a lot of interesting pieces. Jonathan India, I think, is the, 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 the key piece. But Ellie De La Cruz had a double in his, in his first game in the major leagues. I mean, he's been crushing the ball. It seemed like every time you hopped on Twitter or you hopped on social media, he was having a 118-mile-an-hour yeah. uh, hit somewhere in AAA. And throwing the ball 99 miles right. an hour across the It was kind of like yeah. O'Neill Cruz last year. Yeah. And, and it's the very similar comparisons in terms of body type. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good success for the Reds, right? A guy they signed for $60,000 out of, out of the Dominican Republic, developed him into this big star. Like, 
or it could be a big star. Like that's that's a good sign, and I think it's a very interesting for for the NL Central and for the Reds. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, a bunch of like young guys, so they're going to be here for a while too. Yeah. And I'm really curious to see what the Reds do at the deadline. I don't really expect them to do a lot, but I'm sure we'll probably hear rumors about guys like Jonathan India or Alexis Diaz, who's uh, probably their best shot at an All Star right. this year too. But like. I, I can't imagine that they're going to trade those guys who are under control for a few more years when they look to be a team on the way up. But, yeah, the Reds are going to be a problem for the Cubs in the next few years for sure. Um, another thing that's been on my mind is just Jacob deGrom, his health. Tommy yeah. John surgery, he's out the rest of this year. He's going to be miss most of next year, if not all of it, depending on how his recovery goes. But, it you know, including next year, only four of his 11 seasons in Major League Baseball, he's started at least 25 games. I feel like that just sucks. As a right. baseball fan – this is the best pitcher on the planet, the the guy that's capable of doing something that essentially nobody else is able to do, throw 102 miles an hour consistently, right. have a nasty slider that he throws in the mid-90s. Like He has the best stuff. He's the best pitcher on the planet, but we just barely get to see him. And like As a baseball fan, I hate that. I hate that he's not healthy right. more often, but it's also probably a byproduct of like, Maybe humans aren't necessarily supposed to throw that hard that often without right. breaking down. Right, and like the thing about it, like in an ideal world, right, he's healthy and he makes thirty-three starts a year. Like, you look at his numbers at the end of the year, and you're, or at the end of his career, and you're probably thinking like, this is like Nolan Ryan esque or like Sandy Koufax, guys like that that are like inner circle Hall of Famers, where it's like, yes, they're Hall of Famers, but then there's like really, really Hall of Famers, and and like Jacob Degrom would have been in that category, you know, if he could stay healthy. You think about it. I think he, this season he is like a. 0.75 whip or something like that when the rangers signed him like they knew he's probably not going to make 33 starts a year and and that's okay because if he makes 19 to 20 to 25 maybe best case scenario those are still going to be really elite 25 starts that you're worried you're not you're okay if he doesn't make those other 10 or so starts we are all being robbed not just the rangers and rangers fans we're all being robbed of not being able to see jacob Degrom at his peak it's also kind of crazy that the Rangers are like one of the best teams in baseball, right up there with the Rays. They could even take over, surpass the Rays in the standings this week. Right. Uh, and they've been doing this. Corey Seager missed like a month. Jacob Degrom has made five, six starts, whatever it is this year. So I, it's pretty incredible that the Rangers have suddenly shown up too, and and they've been incredible with their free agent pursuits the last couple of years. Yeah, Marcus Simeon, his crazy hit streak too. Like that's been another fun storyline to to watch. Too. Nobody's ever going to get to fifty six no, games I, again. Too. Yeah, right. that and four hundred. I don't think we'll ever. Yeah, see again. I don't think we'll see that. I'm yeah. with you. Um, all right, so let's move on to the Cubs a little bit. Um, daydreaming about Shohei Otani. Cubs are in Anaheim this week, not in Los Angeles. They're in Anaheim. Right. This Orange week. County. Yes. Different county. Which is about an hour away from Los Angeles, right? right. So, um, yeah. so we're not sure why they're called the Los Angeles Angels uh, of Anaheim, though. Good but marketing. Yeah, I guess. Either way, uh, Cubs are in Los Angeles for first time since 2016. Is that correct? Yes. yes. I'm being told yes. Uh, so obviously, the, the last time the Cubs played in Los Angeles, they sorry, in Anaheim, they won a World <laughs> Series. Uh, don't quite know if that's going to happen this year. Uh, yeah, crazier things have happened, but yeah, not trend, it. not trending that way at least right now. But yeah, like you said, another three and a half months left of the season. But anyways, you know, seeing Shohei for the first time in person is pretty cool from a Cubs perspective, and it got Cliff Floyd and Lance Brasdowski thinking about what it would be like to have Shohei on the Cubs next season. So they did this in the pregame show before Tuesday's series opener against the Angels. And uh, I think you have the lineup, right? So like adding Shohei as a DH in the lineup, hitting in the two spot behind Nico, uh, ahead of Dansby Swanson, 
Now, Cliff also had Matt Chapman in there. We don't really need to get into the Chapman aspect. Yeah. But, like, adding Shohei and that left-handed power into the Cubs lineup, even if you really don't have any other major additions. That's your only addition. Like, That's I feel a like really good addition. It's, a, it's an absolute game-changer. The, right. the Cubs don't have a ton of left-handed power. Bellinger's been great this year. But, like, Shohei's this all-world player. Just daydreaming. I have no idea how realistic this is. Right. Probably not super realistic. Right. But, like... Shohei in the Cubs lineup would be incredible. I mean, it would be incredible in any lineup. I think any, uh, right. all 30 teams would take him. Yes. But, yes, in the Cubs lineup specifically, and for for this exercise, would be phenomenal, right? Cliff Floyd has it as Nika Horner, Shohei Otani, Dansby Swanson, 1-2-3, which is a pretty darn good 1-2-3. You think about the way the Cubs lineup has been going. If you, you could even move him down to three and hit him, hit him after Dansby Swanson. You think about the some of the issues that the Cubs have had offensively where it's, it's the, the clutch factor, right? The runners in scoring position. If you have Shohei Otani who has double-digit home runs right now, that Im- that immediately changes it from the left side to something that the Cubs really haven't had this season. Like, it's just it's just a complete game-changer for, for a lineup and really puts them at the top of the NL Central, I believe. And, and that's not even getting into his pitching side, right, where you add probably an ace, and if you bring back Marcus Stroman, you think about that, that moves Marcus Stroman, who's, potentially a Cy Young candidate to a number two role. Yep. Justin Steele, who's also been a, a Cy Young candidate to a number three role. And then if you can bring back Drew Smiley, who's also been pretty good as your number four, and then I think Jamison Tyon would be your five. Plus I think Hendricks he'll be bounced back. Be the, yeah. like that, that's a pretty darn good rotation and lineup from just adding one guy. What I don't know how it would work, again, this is a complete daydreaming scenario, but what I – I'm curious about is how Otani on his next team, again, whether that's the Cubs or anywhere else, is how that six-man rotation works with him, right? right? Because essentially his whole career he's been on a six-man rotation, or at least that's the schedule he's been on. So if that adjusts and impacts, if he comes to the Cubs outside of Steele, it's a very veteran-laden rotation. Like, again, if Stroman's back, if Smiley's back next year too, right. which are both very real possibilities, you know, those guys are used to working on five-day rotations. Same with Hendricks. Steele, for his entire big league career starting, has been on a five-day rotation. So I think that'd be, like, an interesting wrinkle. But for Shohei Otani, like, you figure it out. I think most most of the guys in the rotation would be like, if we're getting Shohei, I can, I yeah. can go with an extra day's rest. I, I But the big thing with, from the Cubs' perspective, but really anybody else, is you're adding that, like, star power, and you're adding a, a bat into the lineup that you fear on an everyday basis. Right. And that the Cubs just don't have that this year. They have some obviously good individual performances, but a guy like Otani is a guy that the other team knows when he's coming up in the order. And it's even happened. I mean, we've seen it like the Cubs were facing, you know, David Ross in game one, had to bring in Brandon Hughes and took out Hayden Wesneski to face Shohei Otani because you know you have Otani and then Mike Trout coming up. Right. You always know where those guys are hitting, where they're coming up in the order. And the Cubs just don't have that. Like, right. you know where Dansby's hitting fine, you know where Hab's hitting fine, you know where Suzuki's hitting fine, but they haven't been putting up the numbers and there's not really the kind of star power that goes with it to, to be like, hey, we, we got to make sure that this guy specific does not beat us in this series. Shohei would be that guy for sure. Yeah, and we've seen it with other teams. Like when when the Mariners were in town, you think about it, like, all right, Julio Rodriguez, like you don't want you don't want that guy to beat you. Pete Alonso with the Mets, like you yeah. don't want him to beat you. The, the, to your point, the Cubs don't have that. Like Danzy Swanson's a really good player. But he's not the the guy that enacts fear in the in the pitching rotation or in a in a in a pitching staff. Like they they might not want to face Dansby Swanson, but they're not fearful of hitting him facing him like a, a Shohei Otani or a Pete Alonso or, yeah. or guys of that that caliber. 
Yeah, I mean, it would obviously be incredibly cool, and like this is going to be one of the most awesome off seasons I think just in general is just watching what happens with Otani. Right. There's not a ton of other like big name free agents out there, but Otani's the biggest name to ever hit the market. Um, and unless he's traded to some team and they lock him up before he hits the market. But I think it's going to be awesome to see what, what happens, where he ends up. Uh, again, I don't know how likely that is to be right. in, in north side of Chicago. But, you know, at this point, I think... It doesn't hurt to danger. Yeah, exactly, for sure. <laughs> I mean, it'd be cool from our perspective to cover him. Yeah, so, yeah, that'd be like, really fun. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. Um, you know, speaking of a guy who, like, could be a big part of the future, Miguel Amaya, he came up again over the past week. When Steele went to the IL, they chose to not add another arm, but instead added Miguel Amaya. Cubs are facing a bunch of lefties on this West Coast trip between San Diego and Anaheim, so it makes sense. He's been DHing, or Gomes has been DHing, and Amaya has been catching a bunch. Um, I, I mean, he's he's been performing well. Like you just wrote about it when he first came back, hit three hits, had a homer. But really, like Amaya in general is he's put himself on the map just in the last few weeks alone where he went from like an afterthought to like, oh, whoa, the Cubs have something here. Right. If you would have told me at even like mid-April, end of April, um, Miguel Amaya is going to be like the catcher of the future, I would have been like, all right, let's pump the brakes, right? Like we, we don't know what, like he's missed all this time. He's gone through all these things. Like you don't know what you have in Miguel Amaya just because of the the bad luck he's went through, whether it's injuries, whether it's COVID, whether it's it's playing time, like all these things that really diminished his 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 limelight per se, right? Other prospects, Pete Crow Armstrong, Brendan Davis kind of surpassed him and, and overtook the the lime the prospect limelight. And really out of an emergency, right? Jan Gomes gets hit in the head, he gets a con- he goes on the concussion IL. The Cubs need a catcher. They call up Amaya because he's on the forty man. I mean Dom Nunez was could have been could have been a, a nice option MLB experience veteran catcher would have had to be, require a 40-man move. So you turn to Amaya thinking, hey, this is going to be in a pinch. Maybe you'll start one or two games. Maybe you'll get a few at-bats. But, like, this this is this is the Tucker Barnhart show. And really, Amaya impressed not only offensively, but Hayden Witness. But with Witness, a singing voice. Yeah, yes, that too. <laughs> he, he had a great uh, Go Cubs go after his win or after one of the wins. But also he, he impressed just with the pitching staff. Hayden Wisniewski mentioned, like, he trusted him right away after after he got to work with him. Kyle Hendricks has, has raved about him as a game caller. Like, I think he's really gone from like, this is his last option year. We'll see what we'll see what he is, and and maybe he can, maybe he can be something that either you can trade away or can be like a backup catcher. And now you're thinking like, no, this guy could be the catcher for for years to come for the Cubs. Yeah. And- what you said about Hendricks raving about him. I mean, Hendricks raves about everybody. He's like the most positive person. But what he said about Amaya is that he's really quiet back there in a good way, which I thought was really interesting because a rookie coming up still within his first few weeks, even though it's spaced apart in the big leagues, and he's back there and he's like quiet. He's not overamped. He's not um, letting the moment get to him. And and I think that's what stood out to me most is like the moment has not been too big for him. And yeah, the Cubs have always liked his defense. They've always thought that the bat, like power potential was there. But I mean, he seems to be a little bit better offensively even than I thought. And again, very small sample size, but he was raking in AAA in between the two stints in the big leagues here. And yeah, I mean, health has really been the only question mark the last couple of years. So imagine a future with, with him being a big part of this team and uh, maybe even next year, like Jan Gomes is back, say, and it's like Jan and, and Miguel Amaya is the catching tandem. But in general, I think it, you know it's really interesting to see how quickly things can change. And it reminds me a lot of like almost exactly a year ago, where Morel was this prospect that was uh, on the radar for a while, kind of fell off it because some other guys, the PCAs of the world or whatever, took over a bit. 
And mid-May gets the call up. He's on the 40-man roster. Right. He's somebody that the Cubs thought was just going to be here for a short time. And then he never went back down. And he's put himself on the map as well as like a piece in the future. We don't know exactly where he's going to fit. Definitely some, some struggles and some stuff that he needs to work through. But like that's what the Cubs need in this player development uh, system is just to turn out these guys that like were former top prospects maybe other guys ascended over them but like they need to continue to do that over and over and over again if they're going to get to the place where like the Dodgers are and that's what the Dodgers have done best right, right. it's like think of like the Gavin Luxes or um I'm blanking on some like of the James, other. James Altman, Altman is like yeah yeah like he wasn't a, a huge name prospect and he comes up and he's been a great piece for a Dodgers team that's in first place yeah to your point like that's what you need to have right like and he, like, Ellie De La Cruz, like, is a great hit, but that's another great good example, right, where he's a top prospect, but he wasn't a raved-about prospect coming out of the Dominican. Like, you, you like yes, you have your big-name prospects and your PCAs and guys like that are super important, but being able to develop these guys that can play really good catcher, can play kind of all over the place in Christopher Morrell's case, like, being able to produce those players that can fill in a hole so that you're not having to go sign a veteran on, you know, a, a, a smaller deal or, or having to go out and... and and, and try and trade for someone like that. That's the, the difference between a, like being able to build sustained success and, and having this this longer window as Jed Hoyer and the Cubs have been have been preaching about. Yeah, it's like a little bit different core than the World Series winning core, right? right. Like you, they were essentially can't miss prospects, and they had nothing but success all the way up. Right. The Bryants, the Russells, the Schwarbers. Uh, Rizzo, you know, he struggled a bit when he was up in San Diego, right. but like Javi Baez as well, like all these guys came up through the minor leagues. It was like essentially easy for them. They had varying levels of like success immediately and not, and it went through their struggles in the big leagues. But like, this is a little bit different core. Like Amaya's already had some struggles. Morel has already had some struggles in the minor leagues and figured it out. So yeah, it's definitely like a different core. Um, but as we talk about Morel, I mean, Morel, Matt Mervis, like these were, Mervis was this guy, also put himself right. on the map last year, kind of became this can't-miss prospect after being undrafted during the COVID year. But Morell, you know, since his last homer in the last 10 games, this we're recording before Wednesday's game, he's hitting below 100, uh, 182 on base, just two hits in his last 10 games. Matt Mervis striking out a third of the time this season. Uh, he has one hit in his last se seven games, and it was that big double against the, the Angels in the opener. Um but, yeah, I mean, these guys are just struggling. I think it's getting to the point now that there are slumps. There are definitely learning curves. David Ross, obviously, is trying to play the matchups against them, trying to decide when Mervis is playing against a lefty, when he's DHing or, or sorry, playing first base or whatever. And then Morell, when he's DHing, what position he's playing. He's pretty much been outfielder only since he's come back right. up to the big leagues. But I think it's the question is there of, like, how much do the Cubs let these guys struggle or how much do they maybe move them back down to, to AAA, one or either of them, uh, because there's urgency to win right now. If you want to yeah. try to save the season, you really can't be so focused on development, and that's the case. I mean, they're not playing every day right now, right. and these guys are not getting every day at bats. So how do you figure that? How do you balance that? And it's a really difficult question, and, and I know David Ross and Jed Hoyer, and they're trying to figure it all out right now, but I don't think there's an easy answer. No, there definitely isn't. And, and I think back to last year where, like, Christopher Morrell – had his success and then he had his struggles um, late in the season. The Cubs were kind of out of the division race at this time, by this time last year, right? Like it was like, unless they went on an insane run and I believe at this time last year they were in the middle of their like 10 game losing streak. So like, unless they would have went on an insane run, they they were never going to be back in the, in the playoff hunt per se. So they were allowed to just play all these guys and let them go through these struggles. 
right now they're they're very much in the central race. They're under 500, but they're they're still very much within striking distance of the central. That if you do go on like a four or five game winning streak, you're really right back in it, and you can kind of start thinking about like okay, maybe in a couple months at the trade deadline, like maybe you're you're adding or, or things like that. That kind of hinders Matt Mervis and Christopher Morrell because if if they're not the best matchup for one day, two days, three days, four days in a row, and you're trying to win, then you have to sacrifice that, right? Like, yeah. if you're trying to win, you just have to sacrifice playing Christopher Morrell or Matt Mervis at the expense of valuable learning experience, facing a lefty or facing a tough righty, facing whatever the situation is. That's the risk you take because you're trying to win. I don't know if there's a right answer, right? And, and the thing, especially in Mervis's case where – Eric Hosmer was kind of the cushion, right? Where it's like, if Mervis struggled, then you can go to the veteran and Eric Hosmer, who was giving you good defense and, and, and has all this veteran experience. If you were to send down Matt, Mer- send down Matt Mervis, which I don't think is the right move right now, just given that he only has 78, less than 100 plate appearances on the season, I don't think that's the right move. Your option, it's really just Trey Mancini. And if some, something happens to Trey Mancini or the matchup doesn't work out, like you're kind of... Your, your, wisdom or Rios play first right yeah. right like uh, that that's kind of the situation you're at right now where it's like Matt Mervis almost is a necessity too at this point and it's, it's not just about development or, or trying to win like you just need the left-handed option and you kind of hope he figures it out and, and works out of these the slump because if he does I mean we saw what it was in AAA and we saw what it could be for the Cubs if he's if he's hitting like he was there yeah, and, you know, again, we're recording this before Wednesday's game, but I thought Mervis, beyond the double, you know, he hit the ball a couple, hard a couple times in Tuesday's right. game. So looked, you know, pretty good overall. But really there's no easy answer to, like, replace these guys as they struggle and work through their, their right. development issues. As a whole, the Cubs are hitting just over 200 in their last 10 games. It's not just those two guys. Right. It's, it's everybody right, right now. I right. mean, like, 16 extra base hits is last in baseball over the last 10 games. Again, going into Wednesday's contest, like, there's no easy answers right now. Everybody up and down the lineup is struggling. I think uh, it was going into the Angels series. There was four or five players that were currently riding like an over ten or or more like yep. uh, over stretch. It was uh, it was Seiya, Wisdom, Morel, Mervis. I think those were the four. Okay, yeah, those yeah. are four. Either way, I mean, there's no easy answers for David Ross right now. Um, the only possible answer maybe is a guy in AAA, Nick Madrigal. Yeah, he's hitting four sixty nine has a 1.4 OPS down there. Smaller sample size, but since he was optioned down to the minors, like he's been absolutely raking. He even hit a home run to right, right field right, last right. week. Like that was pretty crazy. He and Nico home run in the same day. Right. Wasn't expecting that. Uh, but I, I don't know where Magical fits. I'm not saying he's the answer or anything either, but like that's the one thing I wonder is like, because he is hitting so well, Cubs need a spark. Like maybe he's a guy. Amaya's already been a little bit of a spark offensively. Like, right. Cubs numbers offensively the last 10 games would look worse without him. But I don't know. I don't know what Madrigal's fit might be in the short term, and I definitely don't know what Madrigal's fit is in the long term. I think best case for Cubs is he continues to play well either here in Chicago or in AAA, and they maybe end up trading him this summer. I don't know. It's a tough situation because, like, last year he had a little bit of success at the end of the year before uh, or after his his first big injury, and – you, you think about that success that he had, I think he was hitting like around 270, somewhere around there, somewhere around his career number, some, the kind of player you expected you were getting. He was playing every single day, right? And he was getting every single day at bats, and he, was, he kind of was able to get into a groove. And if he, went, if he went 0 for 4 or if he didn't have a good day, like he knew he was going to be back in the lineup, and he was able to just kind of go on this run and, and become the player he was. This year, again, it goes back to the Morel and Mervis thing where 
Madrigal just wasn't an everyday player, just given how the roster was, was shaken up, right? Patrick Wisdom, you, he was hitting a home run every seemingly every game in at April, the beginning yeah. of the season. Yeah. Like, you couldn't not play him. Uh, second base is taken by, by Nico Horner. Your DH was being used by Trey Mancini or Eric Hosmer. Like, it, 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 you, there was no spot, clear spot for Nick Madrigal that you were kind of not being able to play him regularly. And even still, like, it's really only third base just because of Nico Horner. It's that you're not moving Nico off of second you're there's no ability for him to kind of get on this groove and, and kind of develop who he is i think part of the success he's having in, in iowa is, is given the ability to play every single day go in every single day knowing that if he if he has a great game or if he has a bad game he'll be in there the next day there's no guarantee of that and to your point it, it becomes a question of like what where does nick magical fit how does he fit the hard thing about trading him is like unless he can kind of keep going on this kind of role in in triple a iowa like his value is still at its lowest i think like your return wouldn't be as good as you could get if he kind of goes on a roll in the majors or a longer roll in AAA. So that's kind of the, the catch-22 with Nick Madrigal right now. Yeah, and right, like why would the Cubs necessarily go that route of him at right. DH when you have a Mancini or a Mervis or a Morel or right. you know, even Edwin Rios as, as options as well. So, yeah, I don't I don't know what, what to make of Madrigal um, long-term, definitely. Uh, but I think it'll definitely be interesting. But the fact that... He's hitting almost 500 in AAA is definitely not nothing over right, the last couple right, of weeks. Right. We're going to take a quick break here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back, Andy and I are going to talk about maybe some optimism surrounding the Cubs rotation and then uh, pessimism maybe surrounding the bullpen, uh, whatever the op- opposite of optimism is pessimism. pessimism. Okay, yeah. there you go. So we're, we're going to take a quick break here. Get your Wintrust exclusive debit card. Get your Cubs card. Ooh, I'll take one. How much? Actually, they pay you $300. You heard right. Get a $300 bonus when you open a Cubs checking account with Wintrust. Enjoy all perks and purchase with pride every time with your Wintrust Cubs debit card. $300? What? I'll take a $300. $300? Get your exclusive card at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and equal housing lender. All right, we're back here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, Tony and Andy. And, Andy, let's chat a little bit about this Cubs rotation. Jamison Tyon is back, pitching well. Or he's been here for a while, but he's pitching well. He seemed like he was back. Again, we're going into Wednesday start. So, uh, I guess, depending on how that goes by the time you're listening to this, Kyle Hendricks is back, looking a lot more like himself, I think. Um, You know, he's been babbipped a bit, but that happens to Kyle Hendricks because he gives up a lot of contact. But this rotation has looked... Kind of like what the Cubs envisioned it, even with Justin Steele going down, going on the IL right now. But when you have Smiley, when you have Wesneski, who pitched pretty well in, in Tuesday's opener against the Angels, and then you have Marcus Stroman, who's been, who has been the best pitcher on the planet. We talk about Jacob DeGrom. Like, Stroman has been the guy yeah. for really the last few weeks now, but his last four starts, he's 4 0. He has an ERA sub one, only three earned runs total in his last four starts, uh, 0.69 whip, and 21 strikeouts. Earned the National League Pitcher of the Week. Like, He's been fantastic, but the rest of the Cubs rotation has been pretty good you know, around him as well the last two weeks or so. Yeah, the Tyone one is super interesting to me because I think outside of that first game back, first two games back from the IL stint where they kind of just needed him back and he didn't go on a rehab assignment, so he was like on a pitch count. I kind of take those two away because I almost think of them as like a the rehab, rehab stint. Yeah. Right, like you don't look too much into that. But you look at every other start besides that and you're like, that one inning was good, or maybe that one at bat was good, or or maybe those two innings were good. There's like flashes, and you're like, he's he's like coming into form, and he never has really put it all together for one outing. Um, this last outing that he had, 
definitely looked a lot better. Still, by no means like who he re- who he has been, who the Cubs expected him to be. But it's a it's trending in the right direction. I think what's interesting to me, I was looking up some of his numbers. He's he's also been babbipped, right? Like bat, batting average on balls in play, pretty uh, bad luck. Three forty eight babbip against. Like you expect that to to go down. Like that's just kind of kind of way too high, kind of leading to the bad luck. And then his ground ball percentage is way down. Career forty three point two percent ground ball percentage. Like he like kind of like how Hendricks Marcus Stroman. Like the ball gets put into play. They, there's ground balls. Good defense behind you. You're going to turn those into outs. This year he's at thirty point eight. Like that's a twelve point twelve point loss on the ground ball percentage. That's something that I think has to be the solution. And in his last outing, that's kind of I guess the one like scare for me, if you want to put it that way. Only five ground balls um, in that in that last outing. It's interesting too. His, Against the Padres. You mean, yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Four seam, four seam, and the sweeper usage was up um, over his last two starts. Like he's been using it more. His best two starts have been his last two starts. You expect those two to improve. Those continue to improve. He's using them more. That leads to more success. That's what you're hoping from from Jamison Tyon, but it, it, it comes down to who he is, and he's said this before, like getting the ball on the ground so that the defense can convert it into outs. Yeah, and Hendricks, I think, did that really well, too. Even the, yeah. the game against the Rays, he was working on traffic the entire time, but he was essentially giving up some, some softer contact, right. and he was a little fortunate. He was hit right at guys, but that's his game plan and his MO, and now he has one of the best defenses behind him since the 2016 team. So, um, But, yeah, I think Hendricks being back and looking more like himself than probably almost all of last year. He had that one start, I remember, against the Padres in San Diego last year. Other than that, I mean, last year I felt like he didn't quite look right. Um, in 2021, he had that awesome stretch for a couple months in the middle there. But, like, Having him back, I think, is huge whenever Steele comes back. But Wesneski looked better yeah. than he had, you know, before he went down when he was in the rotation. Even the last start or two before he went down, I think he was starting to figure it out maybe a little bit. But, uh, but you know, him getting back to form, like you said, Tyone as well. And then when you add the fact that Stroman is like an actual ace, like ace-level stuff, he was really good down the stretch for the Cubs last year, but this year he's taken it up to like the next level. Drew Smiley's been, you know, phenomenal again this year, like one of the more underrated signings, underrated signings in baseball. This is how the Cubs go on that run that you were talking about, like to get back into it. It's starting pitching, and this is what they're going to need to. Like, obviously the bullpen needs to get figured out. The offense, as we mentioned, like needs to just find more consistency somehow. But if the Cubs are going to hang into it, and the reason they've hung into hung in this race so far is their starting pitching, is Stroman, Steele, Smiley, and then now if Tyone, Wesneski, and Hendricks can help pick up some of the slack in the latter half of the rotation, like they can get on track here. Whether they will or not, I don't know, but they can because of this rotation. That's like the makings of what um, allows you to go on a run, right? You think about last year when the Cubs were struggling. Think about it. Stroman was not was not healthy. Remember, he had COVID, and he he struggled to when he first came back after the, the COVID bout. And then had a shoulder injury, missed a little bit of time. Right. Yeah. Hendricks, as you mentioned, outside of that start in San Diego, never really looked like himself. The 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 steel was still kind of figuring it out. He really didn't go on his dominant. He hadn't been on his dominant run yet. Smiley, same thing. Like There was a lot of question question marks in the rotation that it was hard to go on a winning streak because you're starting rotate. You didn't know what you were going to get from your starting rotation. And it's cliche or whatever like whatever you want to say but like the the whole momentum is your next day starter for the cubs like that's that's a good thing right like if you 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 can turn to drew smiley one day and then marcus stroman the next kyle hendricks next etc 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 like it gives you the the confidence that at least you're going to be in the game and 
the Cubs over the last two weeks offensively, 70 uh, WRC plus, like that's not who I think they're going to be the rest of the way. Like I think there's going to be some some peaks and valleys. I think this is one of their valleys. They should go on. You expect them to, to kind of improve offensively, at least for a run. And if it coincides with, with your starting pitching, pitching well, like that allows you to change this, this five, six game deficit in the division to three, two, or et cetera, around that range. And again, it changes the complete outlook of the season. And if you look at just this rotation from the team, I think you you know we were talking about it like before the podcast. Like, how do you look at this and not realize or like think that oh your rotation isn't going to be any better or like sorry your overall record isn't going to be any better right. because of the rotation? Like the Cubs' record should be a lot better, but the bullpen has obviously been blowing a lot of games. The offense has let the the starting rotation down a bunch, but like this overall record should be better just because you look at all these guys. The, the names, the pedigrees, but the stats, the numbers right. they're putting up, you know, how, how deep a lot of these guys are going into games. I mean, routinely putting up quality starts, like like Smiley's had a few, but Stroman every time out, Steele every time out, essentially, you know you're going to get a quality start. So, yeah, I think the turnaround, again, could it will start from the, the rotation, but really figuring out the bullpen to me is like one of the biggest things because hitting comes and goes, especially in 2023, like even without the shift and, and stolen bases up and all that, Offense is going to always be up and down. That's the nature of it. The bullpen needs to get back in order, and I don't know exactly how the Cubs do it because yeah. Tuesday night looked like a pretty good uh, chance for them to do that. Brandon Hughes comes in. You know, he's been pretty good for the Cubs over the last calendar year. Doesn't record an out. You know, Jeremiah Estrada has really struggled since he got Pete Alonso out uh, and pitched out of that gym against the Mets in the last homestand. That, that looked like it was going to be the jumping-off point. First career hold, like he was pitching a high-leverage situation. He retired five of the 18 batters he's faced since then. I, You know, Julian Merriweather's doing pretty good. He's really turned his season around since a, a tough start to April. Adbert Alzali, Mark Leiter Jr. Beyond that, I don't know who Ross trusts right now in the bullpen. And to bridge the gap to those kind of other three guys, I don't know where you go. And, you know, it looks like Michael Rucker's going to be back up with the team in, in Anaheim now. Uh, as we're recording this, we're not sure what the corresponding move is yet. But, like, that, you know, is fine. And Rucker's pitched pretty good. But, like, Cody Hoyer still needs to get himself on track, get his command under control in AAA as he works back from Tommy John. Ryan Jensen just moved up to AAA. You know, Cubs prospect is on the 40-man roster. I don't know that he's the answer, but he's been pitching pretty well out of the bullpen in AA. Mm -hmm. Daniel Palencia just throws 102 miles an hour. Cubs just moved him to a reliever, but then he got lit up on, on Tuesday night pitching for Iowa as well. So, like, I don't know, you know, Cam Sanders was a guy who looked great in spring training, has, like, I think 32 walks in 23 innings or something with AAA. His last outing, he had five walks in less than an inning. So, like, the Cubs have some internal options. Estrada was supposed to be one of those two. I don't know what strings Rossi pulls right now to get the bullpen uh, really under control, basically, to get it even to the, the eighth and ninth innings, to to protect the leads, to, you know, make it so that the offense doesn't have to, like, have all this pressure on themselves. The bullpen, to me, is is really, if the Cubs figure that out, then I start maybe believing that they can go on a run. Yeah, it's it's so tough because, like you mentioned, I think that's the most important thing is, like, Mark Leiter Jr., Edward Alzali, Julian Mayweather, as great as they've been, like, if you can't get it to them, it, it doesn't really matter. And there was times, in, uh, like, I think back to 2021 when they had Chafe and Tapera and Kimbrell, and for as good as those three guys were, um, until Justin Steele or Keegan Thompson really settled into that that bridge role, if you can remember their, their 2021 starting rotation struggled to, to get into the fourth, fifth inning that Steele and Keegan Thompson had to fill that role. And if they weren't filling that role, you kind of had a hole between your starting pitching and your 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 three horses, as, as David Ross calls them. 
that's kind of the almost the situation they're in now where they don't have that middle that middle gap between um, between Merriweather or Adbert Alzelay or Mark Leiter Jr. You hope one of these options – there's been flashes from all of these guys, right? Like Estrada, as you mentioned, has looked great at times. Rucker would look pretty decent in, in April. Like all these guys have had their moments where it's like, oh, this this is where they're kind of – this is their launching off point, as you mentioned. It hasn't happened, and until that happens, you're right. Like there's there's a lot of question marks in the bullpen. And to your point about the younger guys, whether it's Palencia or Jensen, we've seen how Estrada, the prime example, right? They come up. It's not – it's just because they're pitching well in the AAA or AA – to put them in high leverage moments in the major leagues is a totally different animal that it's going to take some adjustment. It's going to take some learning curve that even if you think that Ryan Jensen is the answer right off the, right off the bat, it's going to take him some time just given the, the, the nature of pitching in high leverage in the, in the major leagues is so much different. Yeah. And, uh, the other breaking news to go back to a corresponding move for Rucker is, uh, as we're being told, Edwin Rios to the injured list. So, okay. uh, so the Cubs are back full staff uh, pitching wise. They had made the swap steal to the IL and brought back Amaya. So they were a pitcher down for a couple of days there. Um, but yeah, you know, Rucker coming back definitely can help out. Um, helps, you know, kind of a tired bullpen too, even though they just right. had the off day the other day. But uh, yeah, it, I, you know, it's another option. Like he's pitched pretty well. He's had good stretches, like you said. Um, but for the Cubs, you know, I think it just hasn't worked out the way they built bullpens in past years. And this year is the first in several years that it hasn't worked out. And even last year, after trading away four relievers, they still put together a pretty good bullpen because Hughes was still here and Manny Rodriguez was pitching well. And, you know, they had all these, these other pieces that could work out and almost nothing has gone right in the bullpen this year with the exception of Mark Leiter Jr. Who, Oh, by the way, wasn't even on the 40 man roster until right before opening day. Adbert has been, you know, phenomenal down there. And then Julian Merriweather after like the, the second week of April has been great. Other than that, everything else has kind of gone uh, against the way the Cubs were hoping. They wanted to build this internal bullpen. They wanted to sign guys like Brad Boxberger, uh, Michael Fulmer, and it just hasn't worked out. Still possible that it, that it could. And, and But when they were good, that 14-10 and 10 stretch in April, the bullpen was good. And you were starting to, to see roles develop. And ever since then, you know, it's just been anybody's guess on a given day. So they just have to get back to that. And, I, and I, again, it's it's tough. And as you said, it's going to be a learning curve with a lot of these young guys. Cubs want to get this internal bullpen and just have all these optionable arms down there that they can figure out all these internal guys. But, like, that looks to be several months away, if not a year or two away, before they're able to actually turn these guys out on a regular basis. Yeah, and it's just, like, such a it's such a tough conundrum because as you're trying to win, you, you would hope that those guys could come up and, and, and just seamlessly fit in. And there, it, it, to me, the other thing, too, that I think about is, like, even when Ross is, I think, made the right decision, whether it's, like, like yeah. Brandon Hughes was the right decision, I, I think, in, in Tuesday's outing to, to come in and face... Yeah, lefties, lefties don't hit well off him at all. Right, and the, and then the other thing too is he already had a home run off off Wesneski Otani did. So like you you want to give him a different look and maybe switch things up. Brandon Hughes has a tough outing. I think back to Houston where it's like Mark Leiter Jr. in six one game is absolutely the right call against the top of the Astros lineup where it's really really good, and he doesn't get he doesn't get the outs and then or even against the Rays last week yeah right like you have all these situations where you bring in the right guy and it just like the, the the few bad outings for Mark Leiter Jr. Adbert Alzali come in the right decision, and it, it just makes it look like it's the wrong decision when it probably wasn't. Like it was the right move, and and that goes back to when the decision making is right. It's, it seems like it's going against Ross's way, and when and and then the pitchers aren't going are aren't necessarily going according to plan. So it just seems like everything on a bullpen front, 
anything that can go wrong is going wrong for the Cubs on the bullpen front. Yeah, and, you know, I, there's an element of, like, bad luck to it, but there's also an element of, like, they're not playing well enough, right? Like, the offense can put the bullpen in a better position by, you know, they had, I think, three or four hits after the second inning on Tuesday where they, they score four runs. It looks like they're going to get to Angel starter Tyler Anderson and in the bullpen, and then they have, I think, two hits the rest of the way before Nico and Hap had a couple of hits in the ninth inning, you know? So it's like the offense can help, you know, things out and uh, can help the pitching staff out, the, the bullpen can help the rotation out, you know, all that kind of stuff. But like right now for the last five, six weeks, the Cubs just have not been in sync. Obviously that's the focus is they have to try to get in sync, but they're doing it in the midst of a really tough West Coast trip. And even when they come home and, and for the rest of June, it's a tough schedule. And, you know, their, their easiest opponents are like the Pirates who have been in first place at times this year or the Cardinals, who I don't think anybody's overlooking the Cardinals, even though they've really, really struggled for the first two months of this season. So uh, it's not going to get any easier for the Cubs. They're certainly going to have to figure things out. And honestly, with each podcast we do, with each game the Cubs play, things become just a bit more urgent as Jed Hoyer's front office tries to figure out what they're going to do at the trade deadline. So uh, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Again, we are presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks for tuning in.